Happy New Year, first of all. Excellent. Did you have a wonderful Christmas? Yes? Successful? Yeah? Good. How do we measure the success of Christmas? No arguments? Great. Didn't burn a turkey? Wonderful. Absolutely. I, I thought our turkey was going to be a bit dry, but it turned out to be fine. I was pleased. Uh, wonderful time with families, you know, get the present you like. When I was about 15, I seem to remember one year thinking, oh, this has been a successful Christmas. I've had an alcoholic drink on X number of days, but uh, <laughs> not, <laughs> it was a bit juvenile, but, uh, but nonetheless, that was what I did. Um, but I don't know about you and how you feel or how Christmas has left you feeling, but for myself, I have to say, I'm feeling a bit flabby, somewhat exhausted, and lethargic, both, yeah, a bit like this microphone. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> that wasn't an intended prop, but it... <laughs> God-given prop, that one. Uh, yes, I'm feeling a bit flabby, somewhat exhausted, a bit lethargic, both physically and mentally. Uh, I seem to eat too much, to drink too much, uh, to take too little exercise, and I certainly underachieved in fulfilling all the plans I had about what I could do with all this time off. Um, but today... We're looking at the story of the wise men, the magi. The shepherds were encouraged to go and see the baby Jesus by the angels, but the magi were observant, surveying the skies for signs and omens, and they traveled based on what they saw for themselves. Surely, certainly they were inspired by God. And maybe their gaze in the night sky was directed by the Holy Spirit. But they initiated their journey themselves, led by the sign. And if we can have slide number two. Now, I found out a couple of days before Christmas Day that, uh, that um, the shortest day of the year this year was the 22nd of December. But the days immediately afterwards are very similar in length. And apparently, it's not until the 25th of December that the first lengthening of the, of the day after the winter solstice, winter solstice is discernible to the human eye. And this may be why the learned early Christians chose it to be the most fitting day on which to celebrate Jesus' birth. The day when the sun starts to return towards the northern hemisphere. They, too, were observant of the sky. Now, many people these days don't even bother to look up at the sky to study or inquire about the length of days. Many people wouldn't step out of their houses to see a new star, let alone follow it. And without wishing to push the metaphor too far, these days, there wouldn't be a, a point anyway for many people because they wouldn't be able to see a new star because of the light pollution or see where the sun rises at dawn because the, the horizon is obscured. And similarly, modern life clouds the signs of the presence of Jesus. So we, like the Magi, need to be alert. And St. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, encouraged them by writing, 
Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We're asked to set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated. That doesn't mean the night sky, of course, or a metaphysical or ethereal heaven, but it does mean setting our sights on Jesus, being observant and engaged, and having God's heavenly kingdom and Jesus as a vital part of our lives. And we've spoken about how we might have measured the success of Christmas this year. The Magi could measure the success of that first Christmas by having met and paid their respect to the King of Kings, Jesus. The person who would grow up to be King of Kings and who would be praised and reign forever. And it would be great at the start of this new year if we could learn how to worship and praise Him in our lives even better. So the wise men showed three important characteristics. They were engaged, they were passionate, and they were selfless. They were engaged, passionate, and selfless. And if we can have the first, the next slide, please. This, this, uh, this appeared as a Christmas present in our house just yesterday, in fact. The, uh, the guinea pig nativity. And it's, it's significant, isn't it, that on the front cover of the guinea pig nativity, there are the three wise men. Uh, iconic symbols of Christmas. If you get a Christmas card with people on camels, you know what it means. The wise men were magi. The Magi, or Magi, was the name given to the Persian priestly caste. Uh, and uh, and it, latterly it became used more commonly to describe magicians and astrologers, but it was the Persian priestly caste who were called that at this time. And they were Gentiles. They referred to Jesus as the king of the Jews, not our king or something similar, so their desire to worship him was not part of their religious belief. And uh, if you just pause there a moment, that is the first miracle after the birth of Jesus. That God revealed Jesus, or wanted to reveal Jesus, to the Gentiles. And that Gentiles, after the shepherds, came and visited Jesus. And Fiona prayed, Jesus is... Uh, the Lord of the world, came to save the world. And this just illustrates that. The Magi called, not through their religious belief at the time, but because they knew something special was happening. You see, they observed the universe from where they lived. They looked for omens, signs of things to come. And I don't know about you, but when I get back into the rhythm of, uh, of work in the new year, you know, I can be oblivious a lot of the time to the world around me. I, you know, I might barely see what the weather is like outside while I'm at work. I drive from work to home, home to work, work to home, and uh, I can be oblivious. But the important thing is, wherever we are, we too can look for the signs of God's presence, for his intentions, can't we? 
The wise men demonstrated their wisdom in that they were observant when they saw a new star, but they were also educated too. They had knowledge of the world around them. They were not Jews, but they must have known that there was a prophecy that there would be a Messiah, a leader who would be king of the Jews. They said to Herod, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. They had the knowledge to know that the Israelite nation, above all, was expecting a God-given leader. And this was the sign. And they stood out as a consequence, didn't they? We don't read of anyone else following that star to see and meet with Jesus. And have you ever asked yourself, as I did yesterday, where were the Sadducees? Where were the Pharisees? Where were the leaders of the Sanhedrin? Where were all the religious leaders of the Jewish faith? Did they see the star of Jesus when it rose? Or were they just not observant? Sure, they were educated. They, of course, they knew about the scripture. In fact, you have that interesting, that interesting verse where it's the Pharisees telling Jesus where the king of the Jews is going to be born, or would be born. And then Herod tells the Gentiles who then go and see the king of the Jews. How amazing is that, actually? So they knew the scripture, but they didn't travel. They didn't see the star, or they chose not to travel. And we today, are we sufficiently engaged, interested, and observant, constantly looking for the signs of God's presence in situations, any situations? Or do those situations pass us by too? Are we sufficiently educated and immersed in the teaching of Jesus to recognize the situations that might require us to act? Or is there more that we can do for God? If we can have the next slide. The Magi were passionate and committed, enthusiastic, motivated enough to set out on a long journey to meet this new king who meant nothing to them in religious terms but obviously meant so much to them in terms of the greatness and importance of this event that they couldn't be satisfied until they'd paid their respects to him. And they're represented by the guinea pigs in the lower picture. <laughs> they were motivated and decisive. They left their comfortable homes and lifestyles in search of something of far greater importance. They didn't just stay where they were to get to know Jesus. In fact, we're told that they came from the east. and Their most likely origin was Persia, and that's modern-day Iran. And so they journeyed eight or 900 miles to pay homage to Jesus. On camels, they might have been able to travel 20 or 30 miles a day. Nonetheless, it would have taken one or two months to get there and one or two months to get back. Their pilgrimage, pilgrimage took them several months. They committed to getting out of their armchairs and doing something to get to know Jesus. They went on a physical and no doubt spiritual journey to get to know him. 
And they trusted too. They trusted themselves, their own observations of the world. You know, sometimes we doubt ourselves. Sometimes we look at a situation and think, oh, you know, maybe God needs to act in that situation, but maybe, maybe then again, maybe not. Maybe I've got it wrong. We don't trust our observations of the world when we're trying to look through Jesus' eyes. They trusted their observations of the world. They trusted the sign that God had given them. They felt God had given them a sign. They trusted it. They had faith powerful enough to act. But again, what of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the time? If they saw the star and were sufficiently faithful, why would they not set out to follow the star, to meet the newborn king of the Jews? They, they actually didn't even need to follow the star because, as I said, they told Herod, King, the, the, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They didn't even have to follow the star. They knew if this was a sign, they knew where to go. But presumably, they chose not to believe this as a sign if they saw it. Perhaps arrogantly, they thought there would be no Messiah at that time. Perhaps choosing to trust in themselves and not the power of God and God's sign. Perhaps choosing instead to stay in their own comfort zone, hanging on to their own power base and maintaining the status quo rather than welcoming somebody who would challenge them over their position. And what of us? Are we tired, lethargic, flabby, comfortable where we are? Or are we passionate, energized and committed do we need to learn something from the example of the Magi? And if we could have the next slide. So they are engaged, they are passionate, but they are also selfless. The Magi were selfless, they left their homes, they went on a long journey and took with them presents fit for a king. Not just any old thing they could pick up from the local Persian market. They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all of which in other parts of the Old Testament are, are deemed to be gifts fit for a king. So in Psalm 75, it says, Long may he live, may gold from Sheba be given to him. And in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And then in Psalm 45, it says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. So the Magi gave the very best gifts they could to Jesus. The very best they could afford. The very best that there was to give. They gave their talents because they devoted their time to looking for signs. They gave their time to make the journey and they gave of their wealth in order to meet with Jesus, to give him gifts and pay him the greatest respect. And what about us today at the start of a new year? What do we bring to Jesus 
What portion of our talents, time and wealth do we bring to lay at his feet? And if we can have the final slide. What sign is God giving each of us at the start of 2016? Is there an epiphany here today or just round the corner? A moment when we suddenly feel that we understand something that's so very important to us? Is there a revelation here? Where should we place our focus this year if we're to set our hearts more on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? If we are to set our hearts less on earthly things as St. Paul suggests. And I'm always grateful to Andy when I lead services for the music that he selects well, him and Jim select for these services because it's always stimulating and I often make notes of them when I'm uh, um, preparing the next stage of, 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 the, of the service when I'm leading. But today I made some notes of the choruses and the hymns that we sang, some lines out of them. What can we bring to so faithful a friend, to so loving a king? So let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him. And the thing that resonated with me the most, the verse that resonated with me the most, you are all I need. It's your face that I seek. In the presence of your light, we bow down, we bow down. And that's just an allusion, isn't it, to the Magi bowing at Jesus' feet, seeking his face and in the presence of his light. So what sign is God giving us at the start of 2016? Is there that epiphany today? Is there that revelation? Where should we place our focus this year if we're to make Jesus the center of our, of our lives, if we are to look upwards and uh, to make, point our hearts upwards and set our hearts on the things above. Is God speaking to us personally today and asking us to work on any of the following this year? Is he asking us to be more engaged, interested, observant, educated? Is he asking us to be more passionate, committed, energized, enthusiastic, motivated, decisive, faithful, is he asking us to be more selfless, generous-minded, open-handed, or giving? We should take this opportunity at the start of the new year to think, what can we give Jesus in 2016? Amen.